Hey, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Whatever type of day you're having, I hope you're having a blessed one. And I welcome you to A Walk with Jesus with your host, Mark and Chris. So, on today's episode, Chris, we're going to dive straight into Genesis chapter 5, which, you know, we're going to sum over Gen chapter 5, which is obviously the bloodline of Seth, and then run straight to 7, which will get us into Noah. Um, are you there? Listening to the introduction, man. All right, just make sure. All right, so it says uh, chapter five, which is interesting because obviously you saw in chapter four all the uh, bad that happened with Cain and all the choices. So I find very interesting that it starts off with five. This is the book of the generations of Adam and the day that God created man in the likeness God of God made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam, in the day when they were created. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years, and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. So I'm assuming at this point, I wish it would tell us truthfully how many years after the whole incident with Cain and Abel happened. I mean... Obviously, it, they make it relevant that we know how old Adam was when, you know, Seth would come into the picture. But it doesn't ever tell us the age that, you know, he was when Cain and Abel came to the picture, you know. Right, right. Yeah, that's a missing detail. Uh, I, I guess it's um, not important for us to know, but we can speculate. Well, it's probably because they smote out, smote out the entire bloodline of Cain. And so it does become pretty much irrelevant because we're looking at the Israelite bloodline, which runs through Seth and not Cain. So maybe maybe that's the reasoning why. Yeah, I think that's important. Like you, I think you hit it on the head. Um, you know, as you know, I forget if it's Genesis 4. It gives what chapter is it that gives the small rundown of the genealogy of Cain Four. all the way to four. OK, so, yeah. So I, I think it's the point there that their authors are trying to make is. There's a distinction, like you say, between the bloodline that carries forward via Cain and the bloodline, the holy bloodline, if you will, the, the people that call upon the name of God and Seth. And I think that's why he's kept out of the genealogy, uh, the Genesis 5 genealogy. Another interesting Good. tidbit, like uh, we talked about earlier, is how many of the names of the children of Cain are same exact names as the children of Seth. And you and I both know that names have a purpose behind them. There's no, no name. Yeah, can I keep that thought in one second? I'm going to try to flip over to Bluetooth so I don't get pulled over for holding the phone to my ear. <laughs> give, me, give me one second. Give me one second. See if you can still hear me. Give me one second. But, yeah, so what I'm thinking is, is that um, – What I'm thinking is, is that with the entire genealogy, we see that there's a certain amount of years that each individual is living on Seth's side and then Cain's side. You don't even see the years. And it's interesting because on Cain's side, it talks about two females with, like what I pointed out, with the man that killed Cain, which was Lamech. But then it's interesting because Noah's dad name was Lamech, but that's on Seth's bloodline. 
So both of them have parallel kind of lives. One kills the great grandfather Cain, and the other one um, winds up becoming part of the other one becomes part of you know this being a father of Noah, whom actually saves all of humanity by obeying God and building a boat and showing his true faith and love for God. Right, I think that's very interesting. In fact, I mean, I wish I knew Hebrew because, as I think you just noted, the names of the family members of Cain and of Seth are very similar, but some of them have very slight spelling variations. Um, and I'd be curious to find out what the meaning of that is. I'm sure it's built into the language somehow. Oh, yeah. There- I think you you have it in front of you. I don't, but Mahalalel isn't he one of the guys? His name is different depending on which genealogy you're looking at, and I think, but they're similar enough that the author is trying to make a point. But I don't know what that is. Well, they have Methusel on Cain's side, and they have Methusela on um, Ab- I mean, on Seth's side, and then. You know, it's interesting in that aspect of how they're actually spelled differently, like you were saying, and it's it's very, uh, I feel like a a telltale sign, you know. Yeah. But anyways, you're right. There is a Mahala, Mihulal. Uh, I don't know. I probably butchered it, but that was Enoch's. Um, that was. Uh, Irad, who began Mihali. So I guess Irad and Enoch had this child together, but on the flip side, Enoch, it, you know, theirs was Methuselah, like you pointed out. Right. So, so real fast, I know it's not kind of irrelevant to the point, but is there an Enoch in the bloodline of Cain too, or is, yeah. is there not? Yeah. Oh, there is? Okay, yeah. that's interesting. Okay. So anyway, if you want to speed forward, uh, we're going to go to six, chapter six, where it actually, this is where a lot of people find it interesting, which, you know, if they tune into our podcast on Saturday, where we're going to dig deep into uh, angels and aliens, which, you know, many Christians find a taboo situation, but we're willing to help shed some light on this one for you. Hopefully it opens up a new uh perspective of thinking how god works but first and foremost let's uh, get to six on gen six and it says and it came to pass when man begat and to multiply on the face of the earth and the daughters were born unto them notice this wording everyone that the sons of god saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they choose And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Now, as you and I speculate, the hundred and twenty years could be that's where how long man shall live from this point forward, which, you know, obviously, like we talked about earlier, you know, uh, most men are humans in general, don't live past, you know, to see 130, plain and simple, if at all. And then uh, following that, I also believe that that's part of the you know time frame between that point and the flood. Because if my audience uh, looks back and sees back in Gen 5 towards the end, you see Noah's 500 years old when he has Shem, Ham, and 
Japheth. So, I mean, you know, being 500 years old, having these children, 120 on top of that makes him about 620 by the time the flood happens. Right. I I actually think it's interesting because, like, as we talked about earlier, um, to give the listening audience a broad perspective, those are the two competing interpretations, right? So one interpretation says that when God pronounces the 120 years, that he's saying somehow that from this point onward, you know, in 120 years, the wrath, the judgment will fall on the earth. And so it's setting up a timeline, a, a clock, a, a countdown, if you will. But on the other school of thought says that, you know, from this point forward, and there's good reason to believe that either or, um, from this point forward, that the lifespan of human beings will dwindle down until it will eventually hit 120, right? You mean, like you said, Noah lives a lot longer than that. I think Abraham, I forget his exact age, but I think he lives over 120 or... Yeah. Uh, I don't so remember. It went too much further after that. They passed. But real fast, I, I just wanted to articulate this because I think this is one of the most interesting theories out there, but what you just said, if you could reread it again, um, God's words about his uh, spirit not dwelling within man. Uh, you can read that again. I gotta yeah, I sure will. It's uh, Gen- Genesis 6, verses 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also in flesh. Yet his okay, days... Okay, so back up, back, up two verses, back up two verses before that. I think it was... Uh, they come out that the sons of God saw my daughter of men, that, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they choose. Yeah, yeah. Start there and just keep reading until the, um, the, my spirit will not contend with men anymore. I, it all feeds into one another. It's good. All right, so Genesis, to... two, Genesis uh, 6, verses 2 is what he's referencing, uh, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they choose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with men. For that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Okay, so like real fast, we can move on, but this is too interesting to pass up. Um, Notice, again, we're at a situation where there are two competing theories. What, who are the sons of God? And in one school of thought, which is the one I subscribe to, these are the angels of heaven, right? These are the... Um, spiritual beings that reside in the realm of God, and they look favorably upon the daughters of men, right? And we know from you know an understanding of who God is that spiritual beings are eternal; they're immortal; they can't die, right? And so, for them to look favorably upon the daughters of men, which are human beings, and to somehow integrate, um, this is an unholy union that God does not desire to come to pass. And what will happen, as we've seen eventually um, in some of the schools of thought concerning demons and angels and the spirits that Jesus um, exercised later, is that by the angels of God merging with the human daughters, right, they give birth to these beings. So what happens, I mean, what I'm trying to say real fast is that because of the fall, God did not want for man to be immortal. He, he intended for man to have a death. And 
the angels by intervening here into integrating to human society. They're in fact reversing in, in some twisted sense God's desire. So from this point on, there will be such a thing as eternal evil. And so God, in my mind, this is the final draw, um, straw, and God resolves to destroy the world because evil has gone too far by this point. You know, after the fall, God did not intend for evil to carry on beyond the mortality of men. But because of the intervention of angels, evil now has a foothold, you know, so to speak, more, it's, you know, more beyond the mortality of men. So God resolves to destroy the world. So that's. Yeah. You want to paint God in this negative light, say, couldn't he have done something different? But I, it was very necessary that God destroyed the world because of that, in my interpretation. I thought that was interesting. Well, you're right. Because look at it like this. On Gen 4, which is what you just read, there were giants in the earth in those days. And also, after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men. That was talking about the angels having sex with the females, which were daughters of men, which were the, pretty much like daughters of Adam and all of them. Uh, or maybe Cain's side. Who knows? Let's just say for let's for sake it was Cain's side of the family, right? Which was right. already corrupted. So you know these women are sleeping with the you know the fallen angels and creating these. I'm gonna just call them Hercules or Zeus type mythology type creatures. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know and. So we go from that point and God sees that and it makes him angry. You know, he says in Gen 5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every Im imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So had they not have had those evil thoughts, then I don't know if God would have reacted the way he did. But I do believe that God had to have, uh, this had to be the, the straw that broke the camel's back because God even got to a point in Gen 7, where he says, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping things and the fowls of the air, for it reapeth, uh, repenteth at me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So that shows, all right, now if you look at parallel later on, we'll talk about Abraham. Abraham's like, oh, well, what if you find one good person in the city of Song of War where you spare it? It's interesting because God found one good person in the entire world. Good point. And what did he do? He spared it. He spared the entire world. Right. And that was Noah. That was a precursor. Right. It was family. So it's very interesting when you think about that uh, concept of Noah uh, being this good person. I mean, the dude's like 500 years old at this time frame. He has three sons and God puts this huge burden on his back that he entrusts him with. So, I mean, you're thinking 500 years old. If we think about that in today's time, like you're probably thinking, you know, that guy has to have bad arthritis and all these things going on, <laughs> but he actually was probably very spry. He's probably like a 40 year old man, more than likely. Yeah. Uh, body wise, because they, they didn't eat a foul meat. They actually, a lot of them were vegetarians still during this time frame. You know, it wouldn't be until after Noah would come back from the flood, they actually even ate meat. 
more than likely. Right. Also, I think it's really cool, as you were saying, reciting, you know, the Abraham and the Noah and, uh, you know, the one man on behalf of the many. I couldn't help but think about, like, God says of Noah's day that men have become so wicked that all they think about all day long is evil, right? They're so wicked yeah. continuously. And this is important to note that this is a reversal of what he said about Adam a couple of chapters ago when he says, you know, man, he looked upon mankind and said, saw that it was very good. So yeah. he, at this point, he's looking at mankind and saying, it's not only is it not very good anymore, but it's only wicked. And then so you yeah. have this dichotomy, this whole paradigm throughout the rest of the Bible with Noah first, and then with Abraham, um, Job to some sense, and then later with Jesus, where one man who is favored in the sight of God again, right? He's, so yeah. These people are stepping in as the new Adam intermittently until Jesus comes back and shows us the model of man, right? But you have this savior complex, not complex, but savior um, story that keeps recurring. I think that's pretty interesting. I never, it never occurred to me until you uh, listed off those names in that order, but that's pretty cool. I think that's intentional. What I think is also very interesting is that when you think about this, when Noah's in charge of building this ark with gopher wood, which a lot of people have equivalent, which is similar to cypress wood, uh, because it floats really good and it's water durability, um, you know, a lot of people look at this and like, how can somebody build this big boat? Well, there's a boat that's built very similar to what supposedly the ark would have been built like in Kentucky. And they say that they do tours and all that stuff inside of it. And it didn't probably take them that long to build it because they probably constructed it out of, you know, maybe wood. But you think about modern day technology versus back in his day where he had to labor with his three sons and maybe they had animals that helped them. You know, it took uh, it took almost every bit of that, maybe 80 years to 100 for him to get that boat built, you know, day in and day out, bloodied hands and all, you know, and obviously we don't know if he got. I, I, I'm assuming he was not disturbed or bothered during this time frame, or if he was, I'm sure it will have stated in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. he was a, he was a righteous man dedicated solely to the vices of God, so I'm sure he, God told him to build a boat, and he wasn't sitting around watching TV, right? He was he was building a boat yeah. the whole time. Yeah. So, we'll jump to uh, Gen 7, where it says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou, and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. And it talks about of all of what catches me on point is Gen t- uh, 7, verse 2. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the males and his females, and of beasts that are not clean by two. The males and females. So, do you think the beasts are speaking of in this point are goats and sheep and cows, or do you think that they're something else? Because I'm sure the ones that they're claiming are unclean are pigs, and more than likely like cats, like lions, and things like that. I, don't, I never thought about. It. I mean, depending on what word is used there. Um, I know you were reading in English, I think the New, New King James, right? But I think. 
if, if I could see the original language, I think one of the words for beast, which usually means lions and tigers and that sort of thing, is uh, yeah, it's a special kind of word. So I don't know. I don't know what the word used there is, but um, it doesn't usually give you the specific animal. But from the word used, you can usually discern what kind of animal it's talking about. But what where are you going with this? You think it was some other different kind of animal, or are you just like what do you what do you what do you think? Well, my thoughts my thoughts are I think that because it's a King James version, it normally they would have translated. I believe. Um, cattle or cat there's a word like a hebrew word for cattle like calf and stuff like that four legged and uh i think it's kadesh and um i don't quote me though i believe it is kadesh and the point is is that that's supposed to mean like livestock and so i do believe that that is livestock now that i just kind of like vocalized this whole thing i believe that it's livestock and to the point of um you know, these animals, the unclean ones would have been the pigs and the probably like the other beasts or whatnot. So it's interesting, like, to see, like, this is where I think a lot of our audience get confused when they read the King James version versus the, you know, international King James version, which is, <laughs> you know, gives you more modern day terminology. Yeah. And that, that's, that's why we're trying to do this podcast. So that way we can kind of break it down to where the audience can be like, all right, well, I'm following this, but I don't understand what is this and this and that. So that's where we come in and try to help you guys. We're learning too. I mean, I have not read every translation out there, um, you know, but, and every time I do, I find a, I find a weird word and I look it up, I find something new too. So, I mean, but it does help to ask the the mundane questions like that, you know, because while, while it may be trivial, what kind of animal was this? This kind of thing goes a long way because, some animals were used for sacrifice, some weren't. And then you have the question of how is sacrifice even instituted right here because the Levitical system wasn't set up. I mean, there's a lot of questions that come up when you think about this story in particular. Because the world was very different back then. Um, yeah, what I find crazy is the fact that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, right? So knowing them are all in this boat, it's raining 40 days, 40 nights. So if you think about this, they're on the boat sitting together it's done raining they're probably thinking to themselves man when's this flood going to disappear all the animals are on the boat they're probably in some state of calm because you know how uh god can do wonderful things where he can calm the beast where he can sue them and he may have told noah hey you know as the movie which i don't know how much is accurate and how much really isn't because i really don't buy too much into christian uh cinema but what I do understand is that, you know, there is there probably was some sort of herbs that were utilized to help the animals relax. But that's that's a thought. Yeah, I don't even that's that, man, because that movie has been blasted as heresy by every <laughs> Christian under the moon. Uh, I actually like the movie. I, mean, I think it does deviate, but I think it does so with intention. But like you said, it's interesting to fill in the gaps like the guy of the movie made the movie did. I don't think that's heresy. I think it's just, it's, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us everything. And so sometimes it's just hard to kind of muse about what. I do think, I think some of the translation, like, you know, many people claim that's why they don't read or believe it. It's because they're like, oh, well, some of the translation got lost. Well, that's where our hearts come into play. And God plays on our hearts and puts the words on them that are intended. 
you yeah. know, he feels, yeah. So that's why every time you read the Bible, you can never finish it because you're going to read it again and see something new you didn't see the first time right. or the second, third or whatever. So uh, and now the d- thing is, is that if it deviates majorly from what the scripture says, then then we have an issue. That's when you might want to rethink what you're what you're reading and, you know, try to really understand. Are you making up the words yourself? Yeah, there is a line between blatant heresy where somebody changes the meaning of a text that's, that we do see and agree upon, right? That being there, the text and filling in the gaps where the text doesn't tell us. I mean, that's, but I mean, there are some groups that would call all of that heresy. I think heresy is when you intentionally make a deviation with an alternate agenda that is more than likely contrary to the will of God, right? Um, that makes yeah. a purposeful change in that way. But just making a movie and being artistic and filling in the gaps, I don't think that's heresy. But a lot of people, you know, not to get too much into it, but they didn't like the fact that the movie was pro-environment, which is kind of silly because I think God expects us for be, to be good stewards of the world. But, you know, people are so scared of everything that they will call environmentalism bad <laughs> you know, because, it, you know, it's there. It, Soapbox, but we, we don't have to get into it. But it, the movie was decent. It, it wasn't. It was purposely shocking, I think, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Well, it's interesting is that the waters would stay on the earth. You know, it rained for forty days, forty nights, and then uh, verse seventeen, underneath uh, Gen seven says, "And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lifted above the earth." And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went upon the face of the waters. So if you're thinking about this, there's no wind. There's no storm anymore. You're just floating. You're floating to the point that there's no land. That's like, that's the scariest thought ever. Because you're wondering, what are we going to, you know, what's going on? What are we going to do? But yet Noah sits here and he has faith in God. But it, it makes me wonder, like, did his entire family have faith in him or did they have, you know, doubt? You know, what what I'm sure being humans, no matter how close we are to God. We all exhibit the stresses and stressors of life. And I guarantee you, even the best of the best have questioned God before. We even see Jesus and his flesh form question God. But he had to, to show that humanistic quality. It wasn't that Jesus doubted God when he said, God, why have you forsaken me? That's the flesh in him saying it. He didn't doubt him. He knew what his purpose was. Right. But that was just the point to show us the human quality so we could relate better to Jesus and understand that when we are hurting and we're down we're like lord why have you done this to me but in our case many times we did to ourselves god did nothing to us he's trying to help us and we just don't look at it like that right he's the grand weaver he's weaving together this tapestry of life like robbie zacharias says we can't see it we can just see the threads right but i mean when we have trust in god which is uh, i do ultimate trust everything that happens happens in accordance with God's will for those, and it's for the good for those who love God, right? God is always working together for good. But, I mean, like you said, some things go wrong, and sometimes they happen at the inopportune time, and we're like, what What could be the purpose of this? But, I mean, it's all about trust. That's what trust is. Trust is not only with um, 
evidence, trust is when you know the evidence seems to suggest contrary, you still have faith. Yeah. You know, when your wife is blowing up well, her own hands and stuff, you know she loves you. <laughs> right? Well, well, here's something interesting is that I'm curious about this. Do you think that when they said in the final verse of uh, Gen chapter 7, verse 24, when they said, and the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days, do you think that's additional with the 40 days? Or do you think that's separate? Because if it's additional, that's almost 200 days. Well, I mean, I don't know. The, what's, what was, what, is it saying that it rained for 40 days and then it prevailed, meaning it stayed on the earth for 150 days? It probably, you're probably right. That probably was it. You just answered I, it. It might right. be. I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. So I would, well, it does say that it rained for 40 days, 40 nights. And you go down all the way down to verse 24 where it says, and the waters prevailed upon the earth. Okay. Probably days. what I would think it means is that the water that's how long before the water started to recede um interesting point i mean i'm i'm home Uh, we can continue for a few minutes but um interesting point is that you know it does rain but a lot of skeptics have brought up the point that 40 days and 40 nights of rain is not enough to cover the earth Um, and i mean that's true but if you read the text you notice that most of the water comes from within the earth. It bursts um, from the, de- the, the the deep, I think is what it calls it. Um, maybe you can find that verse and read it because that's important because it, it rains, but it also bursts from the rocks in the earth. Oh, are you talking about Moses? No, no, no. I'm talking about the Noah in the same story. Um, it talks about the fountains of the deep bursting forth, I think is what it says. And some interpret that to be the, the Hebrew word for deep, which means the outer space. But um, there's also interpretation that says, you know, it rained, but it also, I mean, think about like geysers, you know, the water coming from out there. I yeah. think that's, it's in the text. So, well, it says, and uh, number 11, I think this is what you're speaking of, uh, verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month and 17th day which would, if we went by our counter, which I doubt this, how they did, it would be February 17th. <laughs> Shannon's birthday. Which is funny. Yeah. Uh, of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heavens were opened up. So that's the first time right. the sky is actually opening up. So if you really, I've been in some rainstorms first and foremost, and I've seen the inches hit the ground super fast. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, I do believe it, it could flood because if God created an ocean in one day, brother, he's going to create a flood in less than that. Yeah, there's all kinds of theories that are valid. I mean, one theory says that, you know, there was a great ocean in the sky before the flood and that God sort of poked the hole in it and then all the water fell to the earth. That's a possibility. But what's also a possibility is that well, relatively was... modern, relatively recently, um, science has actually found more water exists in the rocks beneath the Earth's crust, right, than in, in yeah. all of the oceans. So there, it's, it's kind of funny that we have all this water, more than all of the oceans combined, existing underneath the rocks um, of the Earth um, that we wouldn't find out until 21st century. 
there's your water. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, you can't run from it in some sense. And whatever interpretation you are, there is enough water. And like you said, God, if there wasn't enough water, God can make the water. No big deal. Yeah, you're 100% right. You're 100% right. So I guess when I, this is probably where we're going to end it out with you, brother, because I know that you just got back to your home off your missions trip. Uh, but I want to say thank you again for this. Uh, this is Noah part one. We will have Noah part two, maybe tomorrow night. Uh, if not, for sure, we're going to have angels and uh, aliens discussion on Saturday. But before I let you go, we'll do a quick prayer together, okay. if you don't mind. Um, Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything you've given us. We ask you for this podcast to touch people's hearts. And for the people that are listening, whatever's troubling them, for you to help them in their lives. We ask that they're able to find salvation and understanding that Jesus Christ is the way to the kingdom. That he is the not only the key, but the gate holder. He's the one that's going to get us to complete salvation as well as eternal uh, joy in life. For any problems that we have, we must realize that it, we have to submit them to him. Lord, we ask you to please uh, help this world continuously grow in you and to realize that it's only through your light and through your existence that we are even possible. And I just want to say thank you again uh, for everything you've done for us and continue to help us grow. It's you now, I pray, my Lord. Amen. And I just want to say thank you again, Chris, uh, for joining me on this podcast. This is a hidden Mana Ministries Association project, and I want to uh, thank you all. For joining us. All right, man. All right, brother. I'll talk to you later.